Hello everyone, this is Dom with The Logos Project. In this episode, I am joined by my good friend Gil to talk about his conversion to the Catholic Church. I hope you guys enjoy. Hello everyone, this is Dom with The Logos Project, and in this episode I'm joined by my friend Gil, who is a convert to the Catholic Church, and I wanted to learn about his story. So what's up, Gil? How are you doing? Hey, doing well. How about you? Good. Good to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here. So, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll kick it off with a simple question, and we'll just get into the nitty-gritty and kind of learn more about your story, if you're cool with that. Sounds good. Okay, first question I have. Can you describe the setting in which you grew up, so like the things that you believed and, you know, worldview? Yeah, so my dad was in the Navy for 22 years, so gotcha. I moved around a lot 10 times before my 18th birthday. And with all those moves, we went to a lot of different churches. So I wouldn't say that we had like a, a set denomination at first, my early childhood, but Christianity was still very much a part of our identity. My parents converted in their early adulthood. I mean, they were raised Christian, but not really. Gotcha. You know, serious about it. Gotcha. But um, so we'd always went to church. We went to a lot of different churches, usually multiple ones in each move. And my parents also really emphasized that, in particular, that God is a God of truth who can be reached by reason. So my dad had us read this book, like On Guard by William Lane Craig, which just has you know, arguments for God's existence, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then he told me, you know, he would tell me about this other guy. I don't know this reference exactly. Packer, H.W. Packer, something Packer. But he tells about, you know, the probability that somebody could fulfill even eight of the 40 prophecies from the Old Testament. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, he talks about... So like theistic apologetics and then like... yeah how Christ fulfilled all these prophecies in the scriptures. Yeah. So like very much like trying to get at Christianity and God. Gotcha. With reason. Yeah. Um, Rational arguments. Yeah. 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 So. So, okay. So, so denomination wise, you guys basically were just jumping around because of the nature of your, your dad's job, right? Yeah. Early on at least. Okay. Um, And then it settled a little bit and yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Makes sense. Now, uh, the atmosphere sounds much more open to to reasonable research as opposed to a kind of dogmatic fundamentalism. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was really important for why I eventually converted to Catholicism because it gotcha. was very much emphasized early on that, you know, as I said before, God is a God of reason. Faith and reason are not opposed, but are actually yeah. complementary. And so he was trying to show me those arguments. Um, gotcha. You know, so that to support my faith, basically. Yeah. So I was kind of, I always had that verse in the background of like, seek and you will find. Like God mm. is this God that you seek him out through reason mm. and you will find him. So it sounds like there never really was this kind of anti-Catholicism that you do find in some areas of, of Protestant culture. Not from my parents or from me. But okay, okay. but My church. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. When did you start thinking? It sounds like you, it's not like you held this creed and then began doubting it and then looking elsewhere. It sounds like you tried to understand it more deeply and it led you to a fuller expression of it. Is that, is that 
tried to understand my Christianity or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I should say so. Early on, we had a lot of churches, but I set we settled at a like a mega church in Jacksonville for okay. all of middle school and high school for me. That Baptist church was very um, important for my formation. Evangelical, you know, fundamentalist, conservative. Yeah. Very anti-Catholic. Like, gotcha. I heard a lot growing up that Catholics were going to hell. <laughs> and I never really actually knew any Catholics mm. while I was growing up there. But yeah, I mean, the great stuff about that church, though, was for one, the the knowledge and love for scripture mm -hmm. that they inculcated in us. You know, they had memory verses, books, just books of books of verses you should memorize. And you're in first grade, you have a first grade book, and you memorize, you know, 50 verses, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, yeah, et cetera. And so that was kind of built into me early on. Like I was forced to memorize all these verses. And yeah. so even now I still, I still remember, if not the actual, you know, where it is. Yeah. I have a lot of that still into me. And so that's one of the great things about that church. And so I don't want to say all negative things, even though I did end up <laughs> leaving that communion yeah. eventually, you know? That's great. That's great. Yeah. So a love for scripture and giving you a good foundation in the knowledge of the, the scriptures, right? The word of God. Yeah. That was one, one of the great things about that church. And another one was just, they had a really strong youth group, which meant that all of my, you know, extracurricular time was spent in a church environment with you know, Christians as opposed to finding friends in the secular world. So I think yeah. that did a lot more for me than I realized at the time, you know, just being around Christians all the time yeah. helps a lot when you're growing up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're also just some of the best people I've ever known were <laughs> yeah. at that church. Um, That's amazing. And so, you know, even after converting, it's it's a good reminder for me that despite disagreements, there are still saints in the Protestant church. Awesome. So it sounds to me like it's not that there was problematic elements at first in the Christianity that you were surrounded by, maybe eventually, but yeah. it's more like the more you thought about it, the more you discovered that there's probably more to it than this. Yeah, that's no, that's a really, yeah, a really good way okay, to put okay. it. Okay, okay. So what, what got you interested in Catholicism? Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> I so again I didn't know any Catholics growing up in the Baptist church. So to this day I cannot think of a single Catholic I met until I was 18. And then I visited Hillsdale College where I met some really serious and smart Catholics basically who knew what they believed. Yeah, it started as just kind of uh like a curiosity thing. So I met these Catholics who knew everything about what they believed mm. and I was immediately all the things I'd learned growing up about Catholics was kind of denied or like rejected outright. You know, it's like, oh, so you guys worship. Yeah, you worship. Yeah. You worship Mary, right? And they're mm -hmm. like, no, we do not. <laughs> Definitely not. We only worship God. Or and you guys believe you earn your salvation through like your own good works, basically. Yeah. And they said, yeah. no, it's not like that. And so when I learned that, you know, all these little things that I'd been hearing from the Baptists as I was growing up, when I learned that all these things were not really at the truth, I got curious and started looking into it, talking to these people I met at Hillsdale, reading a lot of Catholic answers. That was a big source for me. Yeah, and that was kind of the, the initial, the start to it. Cool. So, yeah, actually meeting Catholics that yeah. didn't fit the stereotypes. The stereotypes started to crumble a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, curiosity, it sounds like. Great. So, like, so what was the next step in the journey? 
towards that kind of what you see as the fullness of Christianity. I should like back up a little bit and talk about some of the negative things about the Baptist church. Okay. Go um, ahead. so it wasn't all great. Yeah. And this is kind of part of what like pushed me away. So for uh, one, it was very anti intellectual. For example, my, when my brother went to college at Hillsdale, he started studying philosophy and it was quite the scandal. You know, people were really, yeah, very judgmental about him. Because I think philosophy often is kind of associated pretty directly with atheism. And uh, oh. having studied it now in college, I don't really see why that is the case. But that was the yeah the vibe that everybody had. And there wasn't really this sense that God is a God of truth, God of reason. And if you mm. follow reason to the end, then you will find it. Yeah, similarly, like you, you can't drink at all in the Baptist church. But no one ever really explained to me why. It was just... <laughs> I knew getting drunk was bad, but nobody ever really explained to me why there's this total moratorium on any sort of alcohol. And I felt like my questions about that were kind of shut down. And then another big issue that kind of came up later in my, you know, walk to the Catholic Church was just this this overemphasis on emotions and praying a prayer for your salvation. Like every single year at middle school camp, you know, 90% of the kids would get up and give their lives to Christ again. And I was, I don't know, I was always worried about that. Like, do we really think that all these kids were pagans before they prayed the prayer? <laughs> um, they they felt, you know, they're worried that they're not saved. And so they pray this prayer again. It's kind of this like everlasting attempt to like really mean the prayer. And yeah, I don't know. That was a big issue for me. Yeah. And yeah. looking back, the Catholic Church has kind of helped to answer some of those worries sounds like it, it doesn't really give you a a sense of uh, certitude it's about do i really mean this am i really feeling it versus christ saying this is the truth this is the way this is what's going on here right and you just accepting that truth based on his word you know what i mean right yeah right. which is sacramental in a certain sense you know but anyway okay. ahead of us but <laughs> no you're good yeah so yeah so there were certain negative elements that did kind of make you doubt whether this Baptist creed, you might say, or culture was really the fullness of Christianity. Uh, and it kind of, it sounds like it didn't really jive with what your dad was teaching you. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then when you went off to college and you met these Catholics that didn't fit the stereotypes that came from the people that were kind of anti-intellectual, not not the, not the people, the, the culture was kind of anti-intellectual. Yeah. 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 I don't want to talk smack on people. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, so yeah. yeah. So, what's what's next? What happened next? Yeah. So, so I got to Hillsdale. You know, met these serious Catholics who kind of immediately shut down the objections I'd heard my whole life. Like, oh, that's not what they believe. Yeah. And so then I got curious. I started looking into just like different Catholic beliefs, just out of curiosity. Like, I want to know what they believe. Yeah. But then the big issue. This kind of brought up a big issue um, in my own belief, which was with Sola Scriptura. And so... So Scripture alone as the sole authority of what God has revealed and what he wants you to know about him. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh comes from Martin Luther, right? Like 1517, he has the five solas. And we, we often misinterpret it. Like Martin Luther says Scripture alone, Sola Scriptura, and he means that only Scripture can bind my conscience. Gotcha. But in practice, we talk about it as like... 
there are no other authorities. Yeah. Yeah. Luther doesn't deny authority outside of scripture, right. but he's talking about ultimate infallible authority is only scripture. Right. Okay. Um, well, wait, but can, even though it, oh, wait, go ahead. can you give us the five solas real quick? Yeah. So there's like sola scriptura, scripture okay. alone, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, uh-huh. sola Christi, Christe, Christ alone. Yeah, I don't remember. And then Sola Dei Gloria. Okay, for the glory of God alone. I could be totally wrong, but those... The way I've heard it from some Protestant friends is Scripture alone tells us that you're saved through faith alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. Okay. I don't know. I might have butchered that. That's it. That's all five. Yeah, (laughs) no, that makes sense. Okay. I haven't heard that, but that's, yeah, a good way to put it. Okay. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, but so still Scripture, like, you know, in... The way Martin Luther meant it, mm-hmm. it's just, oh, only scripture can bind my conscience, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that that ends up starting to mean that there really are no other authorities besides yourself, right? If only scripture can bind your conscience and somebody has to determine what scripture says, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's either your interpretation or somebody else's. But if they don't have any authority over you, if they don't have any reason for their scripture interpretation to be superior to yours mm-hmm. then it's really just your interpretation my interpretation mm-hmm. which is the ultimate authority yeah gotcha. does that make sense no it does it does yeah and so that was a big issue for me and another part is that about soul scripture is you know the bible wasn't even compiled until like 382 with the council of rome and so the fact that we were using this thing soul scriptura is kind of totally authoritative like i never really heard anybody question it yeah i found to be really problematic when there was a church but no bible until 382 yeah and so that was kind of my first big issue uh i encountered yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i realized it's kind of your interpretation of scripture that is ultimately authoritative and that was really kind of scary for me because you see, you know, in these heresies, these really smart people who go very wrong, you know, like Arius on Arianism. If you read his arguments for why Jesus is not fully God, it's like, They're pretty it's good. very compelling. They're pretty good arguments, yeah. right? And uh, yeah. this was kind of scary for me when I realized that, like, my interpretation was kind of the authoritative one because I am not as smart as these people. Mm. And if you gave me just the Bible and told me to figure out all the doctrines of Christianity, I wouldn't be able to. I mean, honestly, from a lot of Protestant friends that I talked with that have crossed the Tiber, authority is always the big one. It always yeah. is. Yep. And I think it is crucial in the difference between Protestants and Catholics. And so, by the way, this was happening at Hillsdale when you were thinking all this through? So it was happening um, over the summer before I got to Hillsdale. So I, I was invited to like a a scholarship weekend before Hillsdale and that's where I met all the Catholics and then I went home over the summer gotcha. and was like talking to them a lot doing a lot of reading on Catholic answers gotcha know? and so then once I got to Hillsdale that kind of continued my your search investigation or whatever but I did a lot of reading over the summer a lot of talking to that's awesome yeah Catholics this was right before my freshman year Okay, so next question I have is about obstacles to crossing the Tiber. Uh, okay. You, so do you want to go there? or No, that sounds good. So now that you've been investigating the Catholic doctrines, uh, the Catholic faith, and the stereotypes are breaking down, why didn't you just 
become Catholic at once? Like, were there obstacles that, that you had to figure out first, the questions you had? Yeah, so kind of the first obstacle, I guess, was, you know, what do I kind of do about this authority problem? Um, yeah. You know, uh, so I became convinced of this need for some sort of authority outside of my own interpretation of scripture, something that was binding on me, but I didn't really know like what the answer was that was. Okay. Of course I was already interested in the Catholic church. So I'm was investigating like what the Catholic church has to say about this. And the issue of the Pope was big for me, you know, but this was another area where I just didn't really know what the Pope actually does and how much of him is infallible and everything. When I read the argument about Peter, you know, being the head of the church, having the the power to bind, you know, bind whatever you bind on earth will be bound here, whatever you mm-hmm. loose, we loose in heaven, et cetera. And when Jesus tells them you are Peter and on this Peter, on this rock, but it's the mm-hmm. same word, Peter, I'll build my church. That was uh pretty compelling for me because this is the instance of Jesus giving him direct authority. And then in addition to that, he gave the apostles the ability, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven, mm-hmm. and whoever you retain are retained. And so those verses, I don't remember learning about them yeah. growing up, yeah. um, or at least not seeing the significance of them. But those were kind of the big verses and arguments that kind of convinced me that yeah. you know, the Catholic Church has this credibility of being the, you the know, authority. Yeah, the authority over yeah. me. Cool. That was one, yeah, one obstacle. The other big obstacle was all things having to do with Mary, you know? So, I mean, I, 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 I learned that, you know, Catholics don't worship Mary like Protestants say they do, but Mm -hmm. I was still very (laughs) concerned about (laughs) the amount of, uh, you know, reverence, reverence. Yeah. For Mary. Yeah. 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 Um, and so specifically I had a lot of issues with the, uh, the Immaculate Conception. Um, okay. Because, you know, I've been convinced by, well, I mean, I like grew up with all these things about, you know, Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, none righteous, no, not one. And yeah. so that was like drilled into me for my whole life. So then getting past that and seeing Mary as Immaculate Conceived yeah. was, and even is to this day, still very difficult for me to accept rationally. Okay. But... We'll have to talk about it off air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I mean, uh, cause that's not... actually a topic that I've, I've really looked into. The Immaculate um, Conception? Yeah. Okay. Because I used to have several Protestant friends who had immense trouble with that topic. Right. And right. so I did a deep dive into that one. Sam still has trouble with it, but he won't talk to me about it. So, because uh, he's busy, I guess. But <laughs> so anyway. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. I, yeah. So, yeah. Basically, how I got past the Mary issue, though, was just. It was basically faith, you know, right? Because I'd come to this rational conclusion that the Catholic Church had the authority over me, the authority to buy my interpretation of Scripture. And then kind of like the first test of that was, well, Mm. here's our interpretation of Scripture, like Mary is immaculately conceived. Mm. And so it was once you buy that the church has that authority, after you bought that there must be some authority beyond yourself, I just kind of had to accept that, even though I didn't find it, you know, totally rationally demonstrative or something like that. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then the other issue, another big issue was the church's teachings on contraception. Oh, um, yeah. 
because yeah to this day i still don't really feel like i've read any totally demonstrative arguments um i've read the arguments i get it um i just don't think Mm. i've read you know like proofs or anything yeah um but now that i am catholic and i've learn more and more about the church's teachings yeah. and I see that humane vitae is like totally prophetic. Yeah. You know, that's kind of further confirmation. Yeah. Further confirmation of, you know, this belief that I never really rationally like found a, mm. you know, proof for or something like that. Yeah. So I find something really interesting in what you're saying, which is there's this, it starts with this impetus to reconcile uh, your faith with reason Mm-hmm. And and that leads to this idea that sola scriptura just doesn't work rationally speaking, mm-hmm. which leads to the idea of authority mm-hmm. because of the you know that smart people get things horribly wrong and therefore there has to be something that has kind of a divine sanction, divine guarantee, right, right? Which leads to accepting certain things even though you may not rationally be able to prove them, but they're not against reason. So really, yeah. even though That's there's cool. a lack of reason in certain areas, it really is reason that pushed you in that direction yeah that's no that's a great way to put it yeah and yeah and i mean something i found so attractive about the church is that it doesn't make me reason everything out you know Mm. that was what was really hard about being a protestant is like every single issue that i encountered was like okay i have to figure this out and i have to go read everything on it and talk to everybody about it and think through all the arguments and then like come to what i believe yeah and then i'm not even like sure that i've got it you know like and it was every single thing was like that you know somebody brings up predestination with me and then i have to (laughs) you know yeah like go through all these arguments and like read all the bible verses etc etc and obviously you should always be trying to you know rationally confirm your beliefs but practically speaking you know yeah practically speaking it's not doable you know if i'm gonna live a a normal life and not just yeah this is like in one scenario you're an individual that's blindfolded trying to touch things around you and make sense of what's happening. And in the other, you're you're in a family, you're in a house living a family life where you trust that mom and dad know what's best for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So and, and one is more enlightening than the other, I would say. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I didn't really notice that, um, what you just said. Yeah, like my reason kind of brought me to a point where reason could go no further. And then mm-hmm. that faith believing in the things that i couldn't find yeah proofs for and then now that i'm in the church growing and seeing more you know more and more confirms that initial belief yeah that's amazing that's cool that's amazing (laughs) so tell me more about hillsdale is is that kind of where we're at in the story because i i know you've told me in the past certain things about some of the teachers you really appreciated and stuff like that so take it away go wherever you want yeah um so Hillsdale is an amazing school, best school in the country. Yeah. Um, the professors all go there not to do research, but because they love teaching. So <laughs> you have 1,400 students, and you can go to your professor's office hours any day and talk to them about anything. They actually care for you and want to teach you and want to mentor you and will answer any of your questions without trying to proselytize you. And so essentially I just... You know, I had a few professors who were Catholic and who would just answer all my questions. They did it in a very, you know, non-proselytizing way, but um, they were very willing to kind of be there for me as I struggled through this my first semester in freshman year. Yeah, and in terms of why 
why wasn't I Catholic right away? Yeah. So nobody in my family was Catholic. You know, I was definitely thinking about converting. I definitely believed a lot of what the Catholic Church taught. I believed the Sola Scriptura thing. I believed that the Pope had the authority over me. But I think I was still scared to convert. Because um, of the, the, the consequences? Yeah. The, the, the church I grew up in, you know, my family wasn't Catholic, all this stuff. Yeah. And there's, so, there's no precedent for your exactly. situation. And, yeah. 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 And, you know, you grow up, everybody tells you one thing, and then you're going to do the complete opposite thing. <laughs> so it feels, I don't know, it's scary. You Rebellious don't, you don't know a little bit? Yeah, trust yourself. Yeah. And so the big changing point or, you know, transition or something was over Christmas break, I was with my older brother who had graduated Hillsdale the year before. And he told me he was converting to Catholicism. <laughs> Your uh, older brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't even know he had been going, uh-huh. but he just like confided in me. I know he's like, I know you've been, you know, going to mass, like thinking through these things. I want you to know, I'm going to convert at Easter. And you know, I'm a little wow. ashamed to say, but that was kind of the last thing I needed. That was kind of like a yeah. I knew I, I believed all the things already, but I was I was still scared. And then the fact that I had somebody else kind of go through this with me was enough for me to say yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, why am i waiting and so then i you know called the church and got an rcia and converted easter of my freshman year wow Um, that's amazing i had no idea your brother converted as well yeah same year (laughs) that's different church yeah um but yeah i i wish that i you know had been more courageous and do it (laughs) myself but yeah i already believed it all before he told me that um and so then that was kind of the the tipping point i guess Cool. So wait, both of you guys were confirmed on the same at the same time, right? Converted. Yep. Okay. Yeah, okay. same Easter vigil, I guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, so did you guys come out to the family like, "Hey everyone, we're Catholic now?" Or <laughs> how did that go? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh my family handled it really really well. As I said, my parents have been to a lot of churches, so my dad's whole thing was every church is wrong in a different way, basically. <laughs> um but he believed, you know, there's certain non-negotiables he'd call them of the christian faith that all true christians believe on you know things like the divinity of jesus the trinity that sort of thing yeah and so he's kind of like as long as you still believe those like i'm not gonna i'm glad you found a church you know that That you're comfortable yeah that you're comfortable with and still believes these fundamental truths and then actually my dad actually converted this past easter so what started the family has started to sway this way my dad's converted my sister's (laughs) very interested Wow. And so that's crazy. You know, over the years we've worn them down, I think. <laughs> but that's crazy. I had no idea. So this is having a uh, ripple effect really. Seems in, like in it. the family, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um I was promptly condemned by the Baptist church. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, tell me more. So about I wasn't that. I wasn't Yeah. My family was living in Wisconsin at this point, so hmm. we were no longer going to that church cuz in Florida. But I found out from a friend who still went there that when my youth pastor found out about this, he was just like, yeah, we just need to pray for Gil as if he's, as if I was like some, you know, yeah. alcoholic, druggy or something <laughs> like that, you know? Oh, man. So that was unfortunate, but yeah, it is what it is. Gotcha. So, yeah, so that's kind of like some of the, the fruits and um, consequences of your conversion I had no idea that uh, so many of your family members are being swayed <laughs> across yeah, the Yeah, that's great, right? <laughs> uh, we'll have to talk more about 
contraception because I, I just finished reading Theology of the Body by St. John Paul II. Okay. All his audiences. Right. And uh, I'm telling you, those audiences didn't just help me understand contraception or, right, right. or you know, marriage. It helped me understand so much about the entirety of the Catholic faith. Okay. Like it has an explanatory power that just answered so many of my questions it's about about Mary, okay. about the communion of the saints, about the church as the spouse of Christ. It's so all encompassing. Okay. That yeah. so we'll have to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to read it too. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I haven't addressed a lot of the things I found really compelling about the church. So I found the church's teachings, the Catholic Church's teachings on salvation much more compelling than the Protestant ones. And so what okay. I mean by that, right? So the book of John says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Mm. And uh, I'd, ha- I'd always been s- unsatisfied with my Baptist view of salvation that I got from my church. And so you had to pray a prayer, like totally trusting Jesus in faith to be your savior, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there were all these hard cases where people strayed away from the faith and then when you asked well were they are they saved hmm. the answer was all the either if they ended up not being saved at the end of their life does mm-hmm. that make sense yeah. yeah right if they ended up not being saved at the end of their life it was either one they just didn't pray the prayer right which i found that answer really unsatisfying because there were so many cases where people like really did believe that they were trusting yeah. jesus with all of their their yeah. being etc i played lacrosse with this kid who's like i really believed it when i was 12 and now i'm 18 and i don't believe in jesus anymore it's like yeah. was i not saved before yeah. um yeah and so i found that first possibility really unsatisfying because it really seems like people mean that prayer at the time yeah um but the other possibility if you end up being not saved at the end of your life people would say it's because you've totally apostatized the faith mm. right those are like the two possibilities like you either never believed it mm-hmm. or you like totally abandoned your faith gotcha like to, right but there were a lot of these really hard cases where mm. you have someone who prayed this prayer really sincerely but then their life doesn't show it at the time and if you ask him if he believes he, of course he would say yes yeah right and the mechanism for salvation i found really unsatisfying, unsatisfying. and then yeah. when i got to the or started looking into the catholic church yeah um you had this this much richer notion of salvation not a one-time thing yeah you know depending on how you what you meant at the time how you felt etc whatever you want to call it but it was this lifelong process it's not just faith that saves you but it's faith hope and love for the catholic you ask like am i saved well you know tree by its fruits and what do my fruits show right now Mm. My fruits show that I love God. Your your fruits right now aren't totally detached from the prayer 10 yeah. years ago, you know? But if there are any Protestant listeners, I think they'll feel like I'm not representing them well because yeah. Catholics and Protestants kind of, I think, agree about salvation. They just call it by different words, yeah, right? So-, so, like, Protestants say you're saved by faith, like faith in Jesus Christ, etc. And they know that the verse about even the demons believe and they tremble, right? They know mm-hmm. that faith isn't this weak sense of belief in Christ. It's this it's this powerful clinging to Christ with your whole being. Like read Martin Luther, he talks about yeah. totally attaching yourself to Christ and like yeah. he covers you completely, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's this really strong sense of faith that I think ends up smuggling in hope and love as well, <laughs> essentially. Um, I love that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That was a 
a hugely important step for me, like thinking more about it as a lifelong process, faith, hope, and love. And what am I doing right now? feels more real to salvation, right? It's not just, you can't cover yourself for your whole life by doing one good thing one time. Yeah, oftentimes I, I notice it's uh, basically a semantic war where the Catholic and the Protestant are using words differently and they're and they're just kind of talking past each other. Yeah. Um, although there are some like real differences where, you know, the, the Catholic thinks that the believer is covered by the righteousness of Christ, but he's also incorporated into Christ through no merit of his own. Yeah. Where his now the Catholic can merit, but those very merits are God's gifts. Yeah. And so there's a that's where you get into the process, the lifelong process of growing closer to Jesus by constantly accepting his gifts. Right. And so like right. and I think there is a kind of a lack of that understanding in the Protestant paradigm but you're right oftentimes it really is a kind of semantic talking past each other we actually agree on a lot of things and i think we don't realize it so yeah no i mean i yeah another place i, I agree that there are definitely differences right yeah like protestant does not believe that the eucharist is christ's body <laughs> blood soul and divinity yeah period right but i think we are a lot closer than mm -hmm. people say right so for example with you know the role of works in salvation, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a Protestant, do works have any role in salvation? They just say no, right? Yeah. They don't. But then you kind of push them mm -hmm. and you say, okay, so what if somebody has no works at all? They yeah. say, well, then they aren't saved. It's like, okay. <laughs> so if they don't have any works, right? That means they aren't saved. Mm -hmm. But works don't have any role in salvation mm -hmm. just because... I don't know. They, they don't have any role in salvation, but they're, but they're never not present if you're sal if, if you're, you're being saved, saved right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so, whereas the Catholics are just willing to say, yeah, faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. So works have a role in salvation, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really that there's a lot of you know semantic difference. Like, you know, a strong Protestant is going to say, no, of course you have to have good works, not because that saves you, because mm -hmm. only Christ saves you, but mm -hmm. because they're never absent from the faith. Yeah, and so I think there there are a lot of things like that that learning about the Catholic position, I saw just a lot of similarities and serious Christians on both sides who end up getting stuck in the semantics, as you said. Yeah, um, and the stereotypes kind of crumbling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So salvation was a big thing, and, and, I, and I also see that in other people uh, in their stories. Well, well, do you want to bring... Okay, we can No, go for out. it. Whatever you say. Well, I was going to say, it. do you want to bring Avery of, into no. the story? Or... Oh, if you want to. She, it, wasn't part of my, she wasn't part of my conversion. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. so we know we converted separately and then... Okay, We okay. started dating, you know, after I'd been Catholic for three years. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I eventually I'd love to have her on the show yeah. to tell her story. Uh, but she said something the other day when we were all hanging out. Mm-hmm. She says something that I thought was very well put, and if I can remember correctly, she tends she to put things very well. <laughs> uh, she said, "I wasn't satisfied with the idea that God loves me not because of me, but because of someone else." Yeah, she said something like that, and I was like, "That's that's exactly right." The God in in the Catholic view of salvation, there's nothing you can do to merit God's free gift of love, mm -hmm. but when He offers it to you, it's you that He loves. Yeah, right. And so it's because we're incorporated into Jesus Christ that we are now transformed into sons and daughters of God, of the Father. And so God really does love us. 
and that love is possible because of the work of Christ. But it's not just him loving Christ and then us like being snuggled into yep. heaven underneath the kind of coat of Christ. No, it's like us becoming Christ as well. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was yeah, really well no, said. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, yeah, she struggled with that back when she was like in third grade, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, she's like in class, she's like, but I want Christ to love me. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, I want God to love me, you know, not, yeah. um, and I don't think, you know, Protestants talk like that, you know, they yeah. do, but I don't know, if you read Martin Luther, right, on this, like Christ is really totally covering you, mm-hmm. and then the reason you're saved is because God looks at you and only sees Christ. Mm. You know, it's like he doesn't see you. Yeah. He doesn't see you, right? What's the thing? You you say something really good about snow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dung <laughs> covered. Your... We're dung covered in yep. snow, yeah. But, Where but the Catholics. The Catholic says no, the dung is transformed. It, exactly. It becomes snow. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah I found that, yeah. you know, way more compelling. And that was <laughs> kind of the... Yeah, that was the case for just, you know, all the beliefs I looked into. So, so okay, so authority seems to be like the central theme here. Yes, and I think certainly. that's very, I mean that that's the story of so many people, mm-hmm. and uh, salvation is also very important. Um, anything else in the Catholic Church that either through your professors or through some friends that you found more satisfying that seems to be a a fuller expression of the Christian faith than you had previously. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about the Eucharist. Um, yeah, let's obviously. talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was very compelled by the John 6 discussion of the Eucharist, you know? Okay. Um, Jesus, again, this is another instance where kind of I glossed over these passages growing up. You know, I'd read these things and be like, was this in here? Like, you know, when I read <laughs> last, um, but... Yeah. The, the John 6, I guess it's the, the bread of life discourse, yeah. we call it? Yeah. yeah. When Jesus talks about the Eucharist, right? Like when he talks about his bread, it's so much more emphatic than something like a symbol, right? He's mm-hmm. like, eat my flesh. And the disciples are like, this is kind of weird, Jesus. Like, <laughs> you sure this? And he's like, yes, gnaw on my flesh. Yeah. And then all these people leave and he just like doesn't stop them, you know? Like it's very yeah. clear they understood him to mean like eat my, you know, skin, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And they leave and he does nothing. He just lets them go. And he's saying things like, whoever does not eat the flesh of man or drink his blood, you do not have life within you, right? Mm-hmm. These really strong statements about mm-hmm. the Eucharist. And like, there, the, there's the, the what Paul says about, you know, if you eat the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, that's why, you know, that's why many of you have gotten sick and died. Yeah. And uh, I remembered... A sermon we had in high school at the Baptist Church, mm. where he talked about that verse mm. and how he was like, "This is why you need to, you know, treat the the Lord's Supper with reverence, right?" Yeah. And it really threw out to me. I was like, "Oh wow, like yeah, people are dying. Okay, I need to be more reverent." Yeah. But then I went and you know did the Lord's Supper in the Baptist Church, and it was just like a piece of grape juice and a piece of bread, and we like read the readings, and that was it. Yeah. But it was just totally symbolic, and I didn't really understand like why why do we even do this? You know, if it's mm-hmm. just a reminder of the, yeah, you know, what Jesus did. Yeah, um, yeah. Why are we even doing this? We can remind ourselves by talking about it. <laughs> and the answer was often like, well, because Jesus said to, which yeah. is a good answer, right? Like Jesus tells you to do something. <laughs> yeah, you should probably do it. But yeah. it was um, very unsatisfying. Whereas gotcha. in the Catholic conception, like 
You're taking the Eucharist. You're taking God within you, and he's actually kind of transforming you from the inside. Yeah. Um, it goes back to the dung becoming snow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you're taking Christ within you, and he's going through your body and yeah. turning it, you know, mm-hmm. divinizing yeah. it, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Redeeming the body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You became Catholic, right? And so you had these Catholic teachers. Yep. And so... Have you did you ever think? Wait a minute. What about the very first Christians? What did they think? Yes, like uh, okay. Justin Martyr. Yeah, where his like Justin Martyr writes, "This is what we do in church." It's like the exact same thing as the mass. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I learned about that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hillsdale, I learned more and more every year, and kind of these going to mass and reading the gospels and talking mm. to Catholics who'd been Catholic their whole life, just like continued to confirm. What I believed. So it's a process what like I'd, we were saying earlier. Yeah, exactly. You're really living out that process, yeah. I'm trying to, yeah. <laughs> but it's also nice that I don't have to figure everything else out, yeah, you know? Yeah, But it's funny because you're in a situation where you don't anymore have to, like, come up with very rigorous justifications for every single question that is posed to you. And yet that kind of lack of pressure has allowed you to live a life where you welcome this kind of rich tradition, this rich philosophical and theological tradition yeah. that has actually helped you understand Christianity in a much deeper way. But um, any Catholic authors that you read since your conversion that have really struck you that you would really recommend? Yeah. So I really like Pope Benedict. So his, his it's a collection of essays, God is Near Us, mm. about the Eucharist. Yeah, that's very beautiful. I started his Jesus of Nazareth series mm. and um, the stuff he says about Moses. I think we talked about this like yeah. last week, like Moses prefiguring Christ because mm. Moses is the the prophet who saw God face to face, kind of, and then Jesus is the one who actually sees him face to face and is like giving us that revelation. Yeah, yeah, the revelation from you know looking God in the face and transferring it to us. So I really like Benedict. I was a philosophy major. I took a lot of classes on Aquinas and then like a medieval philosophy class where I read, you know, like Anselm Bonaventure, those guys, but so, Aquinas Augustine, you know, mm-hmm. obviously. So the best. it sounds like what you're saying is that if you're listening to this and, uh, and you're a Christian and if you're not Catholic, take a deep dive into history <laughs> and uh, <laughs> expose yourself to these great Christian thinkers of the past. And uh, maybe just maybe as Newman says, to be steeped in history is to cease to be Protestant. Does he say that? Yeah, he says that. Jeez. In his essay, <laughs> he says in his essay on the development Savage. of Savage. Yeah, Christian doctrine. Wow. Yeah, he's like, yeah, if you read history, you can't be Protestant anymore, you know. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, yeah, great. So, yeah, Bonaventure Anselm Aquinas, yeah, Aquinas yeah. really st- you know, he stands out in the Catholic mm-hmm. um, tradition as the pioneer of faith and reason. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, um but I think this, this is a cool little tidbit I'm going to add is that before he died, if I'm not mistaken, he said that out of all that I've written, I submit to the authority of the Catholic Church. He did say so, that. Yeah. And so if I got something wrong and the church says otherwise, I humbly submit to her, to her authority. Yeah, like the Immaculate Conception. Aquinas yeah. did not, you know. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, Wow. Yeah, find myself in good company. Aquinas wasn't convinced of the Immaculate Conception, <laughs> but he said, you know, yeah. if the Church says it's legit, yeah. then yeah. I submit. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, 
And I mean, and there's there's also a whole history behind the way they understood conception, the biology that they had of the time, mm-hmm. which was kind of an impediment to the. But now that we understand biology differently, the impediment was kind of removed. And Dun Scotus also kind of provides some good theological explanations as to how the Immaculate Conception is not contradictory, basically. But anyway, okay. Yeah, last I just I just want to say like very thankful for my protestant background like as i said before i think that it is better than the catholic church in a lot of ways specifically not like inculcating this knowledge of and you know memorizing scripture verses Mm -hmm. i still haven't seen a lot of that emphasized in the catholic church and the protestant church is really good at sunday school Mm -hmm. which uh also don't see a lot of in the catholic church and so i still want to come off as somebody who like totally threw away everything i learned like I think it was a very good precursor to where I am now. And I don't think I would be here if not for that background. Awesome. Well, Gil, thanks for being on the show. And, uh, Happy to be here. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Great. Thanks, man.